0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. The church needs to formalize and publicize ministries of care that serve the multifaceted needs of these women. Black women who receive seminary training have an uphill battle because many churches don't have a vision for how to use their extraordinary talent. My wife and I have female friends who have seminary degrees and have found it difficult to find work because many churches lack a vision to see women beyond traditional roles. It is incumbent on leadership to reevaluate areas where women have been relegated to serve that are not based on biblical prohibitions, but rather on cultural practices that may be extensions of sexism and misogyny. Black women should be affirmed to serve in greater capacities than the traditional roles of children's ministry, choir, and hospitality. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 392 of this podcast. Today is Monday, 16th of May, 2022, and that was just a short clip, uh, double speed, so actually in total, that would have been something like 53, 53 seconds, I think, just a little over 53 seconds, almost a minute's worth of Woke Church by Dr. Eric Mason, I literally just finished the book just a few minutes ago, and we need to talk about this. We we really need to to talk about this. Uh, Dr. Eric Mason is the pastor, uh, main teaching pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in philadelphia pennsylvania goodreads.com has a short bio for him which says that he and his wife yvette have four children after more than two decades of gospel ministry dr mason has become known for his passion to see the glory of jesus christ robustly and relevantly engaged in broken cities with the comprehensive gospel he helps coach and train families to plant churches locally nationally and internationally he is the founder and president of Thriving, an urban resource organization committed to developing leaders for ministry in the urban context and is the author of three books, Manhood Restored, Beat God to the Punch, and Unleashed. He is the recipient of multiple earned degrees, including a bachelor's in psychology from Bowie State University, a master of theology from Dallas Theological Th- Seminary, and a doctoral degree from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary Uh, this bio I'm guessing is just a little bit out of date there are some other books as well that he is author of Uh, It looks like the brutal truth the inside story of a gangland legend is also uh, attributed to him according to goodreads.com and then of course also Woke Church, An Urgent Call for Christians in America to Confront Racism and Injustice. Now, a quick summary. I'm going to read the summary for you from goodreads.com before we get into talking more about the book so that you have up front uh, the, in their own words, publisher, author, uh, summaries, whichever or both this happens to be. I assume some combination of the two. There's a quote from Frederick Douglass, 1845, is when he said this. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference, End quote. And then the summary reads as follows. The prophets of old were not easy to listen to because they did not flatter. They did not cajole, They spoke hard words that often chafed and unsettled their listeners. Like the Old Testament prophets and more recent prophetic voices like Frederick Douglass, Dr. Eric Mason calls the evangelical church to a much-needed reckoning. In a time when many feel confused, complacent, or even angry, he challenges the church to be aware, to understand that the issue of justice is not a black issue, it's a kingdom issue, to learn how the history of racism in America and in the church has tainted our witness to a watching world. Be redemptive to grieve and lament what we have lost and to regain our prophetic voice calling the church to remember our gospel imperative to promote justice and mercy. Be active to move beyond polite, safe conversations about reconciliation and begin to set things aright for our soon-coming king who will be looking for a... Wait for it. WOKE CHURCH, all caps, so you really know how important that is. Now that we've got publisher and author summary down, plus a small snippet from the book itself at double speed, I want to explain why I played that particular clip in the course of this whole book out of all of the little clips that I could have pulled from a a five-and-a-half-hour book, five-and-a-half-hour audiobook, according to audible.com, why did I choose that one? Well, this all goes back to a podcast episode I recorded and published August 27th of last year, August 27th, 2021. I published a podcast episode titled Dr. Eric Mason and the Council of Philadelphia, And that episode, in turn, was also dovetailing off of a still earlier episode, episode 56, in which I talked about my reservations, and I quote, that's the title of the episode, Reservations Regarding Lead by Paul David Tripp. Paul David Tripp, just so you're all aware, attends Epiphany Fellowship, Dr. Eric Mason's Church in Philadelphia, Paul David Tripp also refers to Dr. Eric Mason as his pastor. So, why did I want to learn more about Dr. Eric Mason? Why did I want to learn more about Woke Church? Well, a couple of reasons. One being that several people I respect and trust and do not misunderstand me when I say I respect and trust them as much as I respect and trust anybody Several people I respect and trust recommended Paul David Tripp's book on leadership in the church, titled Shorthand Lead. I read that book expecting to like and agree with and be really, really helped and encouraged and challenged by it. And then as I was reading it, I'm getting further and further in, and I'm just like, man, like. Something's off here, and this just doesn't this doesn't smell right. It doesn't feel right. You know, I, any of you Spider-Man fans out there, my Spidey sense was tingling. It was just like, I, there's just something off here that I don't see myself being able to agree with. And am I just imagining things, or is there actually some objectionable content some objectionable material being smuggled in here when what i've come to get is uh some lessons on leadership some lessons on what the bible specifically god's word specifically has to say about leadership more specifically some of the things i was picking up on just based on the phrasing of certain sentences and paragraphs and chapters the way they were framed and the content was organized being a writer myself i wrote and this is why we homeschool, published it at the end of 2020. I've been writing blog posts and articles on social issues of our day, political questions, cultural issues, theological issues, philosophical issues, historical questions for, oh, five, six years now. You know, I, I'm used to thinking very intentionally about the way a piece of writing is organized and also the way a sentence flows and word choice and what words are included and why those words, if there's lots of other synonyms that might have also worked, why this particular flavor, right? So I'm listening to Lead by Paul David Tripp and thinking about the way he's phrased certain things as a writer, and I'm just puzzled because especially with the way he comes back again and again to this question of sexism, which he never really clearly fully defines. He just always leaves vague in general. The way he comes back to it again and again, and the way he harps on a certain kind of masculinity, it leads me to believe that he's a bit of an egalitarian. He might be a bit of an egalitarian. He's engaging in the gender inclusive language, which we so often should attribute to folks who are trying to be politically correct and avoid the uh, ire of feminists and the women's empowerment crowd. But when you're talking specifically about a book on leadership and you start seeing that gender inclusive language and you see repeated calls to weed out sexism in our own hearts and also in our, as he says it, leadership communities, when you see that cropping up again and again. And then you also see gender-inclusive language being used to basically equate male leadership and female leadership in the church as if it's just a left foot, right foot thing. Men and women, both equal opportunity, should be leaders in the church without distinction. And there's a conflation of official positions of authority like overseer and deacon with men and women being in a general kind of leadership and having the responsibilities, kind of, sort of, the expectations at least that would be placed on an overseer and a deacon. And when you start to see that, and you also understand American church history as of the past century, especially where it relates to the splitting of major denominations, one after another, after another, Over first, the ordination of women. That was a big question in the first half of the 20th century. And then later, subsequently, and also consequently, not inadvertently, what to do with LGBTQ persons in congregations and in communities. When you know that history and then you come to a book about leadership, specifically church leadership, specifically what the Bible says about leadership in the church. You should pay attention. You should be diligent. You should not, and this is a very, very weak argument, if this is the best the folks I've had so much respect for can offer, you should not just assume that because somebody you respect and trust has recommended a book, everything in it is good and godly and above board and safe and appropriate and faithful. You shouldn't do that. You should not do that. What is it that the Apostle Paul says at one point? He says, even if I or an angel come to you with a different gospel than the one that was first delivered to you, don't believe it. So Paul can conceive of the possibility of Satan trying to use him to preach a false gospel to the people who have already heard and believed and been saved and are being saved by the one and only true gospel. So, if Paul can conceive of that and can give a warning to his audience, hey, you know what? Even if it's me, even if it seems like it's written in my own hand, a letter is sent to you and it says, ah, oh, this is from the Apostle Paul. Hey, guys, but it's preaching a different gospel. Don't believe it. Which is also to say, refer back to the Bereans in the book of Acts, who are praised. They are not derided, they are not called divisive, they are not called disrespectful or dishonorable, or any other untoward thing, they are said to be, and I quote, of a more noble sort than the Jews at Thessalonica because, because what? Because they uncritically accepted everything that Paul was telling them, because Paul could fall back on all of his bona fides and his degrees and where all he'd gotten a degree from, and what degrees he had, and how many years he'd been serving in ministry, because really, truly, all of that is beside the point. You don't make it on your own merit. Only royalty inherits the kingdom, and that's a system good intentions can't help. You don't make it on your own merit. Only royalty inherits the kingdom, to quote John Rubin. So, with respect to Dr. Eric Mason for however many years he's been a minister for however many degrees he has, for how advanced his degrees are, for where he's gotten his degrees from, for who all he's able to name drop as friends, for the fact that Paul David Tripp refers to him as his pastor, with all due respect, and I mean no disrespect, I actually take what he's got written here, or his publisher has written here for the summary of woke church the prophets of old were not easy to listen to because they did not flatter well okay we want to do some reconciliation work we want to do some healing we want to know that we are treating one another with full respect how about i not pander to you just because you're a black minister can we start with that Is that okay? If it's okay for you to have some hard words and hard truths for the evangelical church in America, is it also equally okay if I read your book and there's a whole lot that I agree with, especially where you're quoting the scriptures directly? Like, obviously, I agree with the scriptures you're quoting. Am I always so sure, however, about the way you're applying those scriptures, particularly with regards to multi-generational guilt particularly with regards to systemic oppression or systemic racism. No, no, I'm not so sure. And if it can be fair game for you to write a book, which at least implies that the American church today, particularly the white church, needs to be called to repentance, if you can say that writ large with regards to systemic injustice, so-called, and if you can say we need to regard one another as brothers, well then listen up, brother. Like we should be able to have an even-handed conversation where I don't have to pull my punches when I tell you I think you're part of the problem in what you're prescribing here. And I, that isn't to say that it's intentional. It's not to say that you're you want to be part of the problem. Actually, like that's that's one of the things that I'm I'm struck by as I'm reading this. As I'm reading Woke Church today, and I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking about it, and I was reading it and listening to it yesterday, too, is I'm struck by the fact that I disagree strongly with a number of the things that you're suggesting. Like, I object to some of the things that you're suggesting, not about the historical reality, say, pre-Civil Rights Movement, or certainly prior to the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation, or between those two events, or between the founding of this country and those two events, it's not to say that I wholly object to your characterization of the country that we both hail from, we are both citizens of, we both call home, from a historical standpoint, concerning those periods. Where I disagree is you jumping from talking about those periods to the present And then saying, almost in effect, little to nothing has changed. Little to nothing meaningful has changed. Uh, I'm concerned by that. I'm I'm very concerned by that. I'm also just a bit confused on some of how you're arguing here. Because on the one hand, you're saying that it's kind of untoward that we don't have leadership in these churches that looks like America. You're you're kind of saying that. But then you turn around and then you're objecting to what you call tokenism. Well, tokenism, as you describe it, is when some enterprising young black man or black woman is put forward for a position of leadership in a church, for instance, or a ministry organization, for instance, or a Christian college, for instance. They're put forward as a leader. No, 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 no. No, we don't we don't like that. No, you're you're just trying to gloss over the fact of your racist past, your institution's racist past. No, I don't like that. No, it's just tokenism. Oh, okay. Well, let's not have any leaders who are black then because you're just gonna call that tokenism. Well, wait, 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 wait. You know, why don't you have more black leaders? Right. So so what it ends up being is it becomes a moving target. You see? Like you you just end up Like, whatever it is that the white American church is going to do, you're going to call them to repent of it. And so it it kind of reminds me of those scenes in some of the old-timey westerns where there's a certain dangerous cowboy who nobody messes with if they value their life. And just for anyhow, this one guy who's a bit skittish, becomes the target of a bit of tormenting and cruelty one day. And before you know it, the dangerous cowboy is shooting at his feet just to make him dance. No, he's, he's not No, he's not trying to shoot him. No, 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 no. He just wants to see him dance. See? Dance. That's a bit how this feels. You know, what does success look like? And what does... <sighs> the woke vision mean for how these white churches and white christians these white brothers and sisters need to proceed you know there's an anecdote included in this book woke church of matt chandler who's another high profile household name in evangelical christian circles lots of popular books he's got a big microphone lots of people listen when he speaks but Matt Chandler gives him a call, or shoots him an email after the shooting death of a young black man, and demonstrations in the streets by Black Lives Matter. And Matt Chandler just wants to let Dr. Eric Mason know, "Hey, man, I'm sorry." And I'm I'm just listening to this, and maybe this is, and I'm no doubt, like zero doubt whatsoever, because I've had plenty of woke friends, and more than a few woke family members. But no doubt the answer will be amen. All God's woke people will say amen. But maybe it's a sign of my ignorance that I hear that and I think, sorry for what? Like, does that work in reverse too? Does it? Like, does it? Of course it doesn't. I'm sorry. No, Matt Chandler. No. You didn't shoot that young black man. Whether he... Whether it was a wrongful death at the hands of law enforcement, or he was, in fact, reaching for his gun, or he was resisting arrest, or fill in the blank, Matt Chandler, you did not shoot that young black man. So why are you apologizing? What does that even mean? I'm sorry? For what? For that matter, here's the, here's the frustrating thing about it. The double standard, it's a racist double standard to say when a young black man anywhere in America, it doesn't even have to be in your community, young black man in America gets shot by police for any reason. It's the responsibility of your white brothers and sisters to reach out to you and to say, I'm sorry, like it's their fault, like they did it, like they're complicit. No, that's not biblical. That's not godly. That's not okay. That is definitionally bearing false witness against not only your neighbor but your brother if you accept that apology. You shouldn't accept that apology. Yeah, you know, this is a thing I do, okay? And this, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. We'll come back, so just stay tuned. After these messages, we will return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Sometimes, occasionally, every now and then, very self-conscious people that I know will apologize to me for things that they really don't owe me an apology for at all, at all, at all, at all. Like, for instance, I have a particular friend who is especially neurotic, and I love him dearly, but my giddy aunt, sometimes he will tell me something that you should be able to tell a friend, and I think to myself, well, oh, cool, like, I, I appreciate that you just confided in me what you just confided in me, and you know, of course, I'm going to be considerate with this information. and You know, I'm going to think about it. And I, I want to be able to give you some good advice. And I want to be able to weigh in on, you know, if there's any way I can help you or encourage you in light of what you just told me, what you just shared with me, this vulnerability that you just expressed. Well, then now I have the opportunity, whereas I wouldn't have if you wouldn't have told me. And this friend of mine, who again, I love dearly, but sometimes I just want to shake him, he will apologize to me. And very often, very shortly after, he has told me something, which one friend should be able to tell another friend, especially when the two are Christians, especially when the two are brothers. Hey, I'm supposed to be able to bear your burdens, and I'm supposed to help you, I'm supposed to encourage you. How can I do that? If you're always apologizing when... Provide an opportunity to. So what he'll do, he'll apologize, and I'll say, and I quote, "Apology not accepted." And why do I say that? I say that because he's apologizing for something he ought not to. Now there are times where, actually, the roles are reversed, where I go to him and I say, "Hey, like you owe me an apology. <laughs> like, you have offended me, and you're wrong." And you're not being a good friend to me because you're being unresponsive or you're being aloof or you're being just just not a good friend, okay? Like you're just not being a good friend to me right now. And I thought we were friends and I don't understand why you're relating to me the way that you are and you should stop that. And it's funny because in those moments, it's like the apology doesn't come quite as as easily and quickly as they do. You know, the the apologies, they just, they flow freely for some of the silliest things. And I reject them when it's like, no, you shouldn't apologize for that. Like, okay, maybe everything you just communicated when you just confided in me there is not how you should be thinking and how you should be feeling about X, Y, and Z. But why why are you apologizing for telling me it as if you, Oh, 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 okay. You regret having told me this thing because now that you think about it, it might not be to your advantage. So, no, apology rejected on that point, too, if that's what it is, because essentially you've just told me you have no confidence in my ability to be a faithful friend in light of what you just told me. So, no. Now, you apologize for your apology, actually. <laughs> But that's that's how I think of this whole business of Matt Chandler emailed me just to say, I'm sorry, brother. Sorry. What? Now, here's, here's the test. Here's the test. To my mind, as some uh, weird homeschooling kid who was born and raised in eastern Montana where I didn't even see a black person unless we flew down to Florida where my mom was from, I didn't know any black people. In Eastern Montana, because there weren't any black people in Eastern Montana growing up, and I didn't know personally, like over an extended period of time, any black people, until I was in my teenage years and college years in Southern Ohio when we moved to Southern Ohio, Hillsboro, Ohio, Cedarville University. Yeah, I met black people. Cool, they're people. Isn't that the idea? Like isn't. Oh, no, 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 that's... Okay, to be colorblind, that's racist. No, 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 because you're denying the validity and the value of my ethnicity. Now, here's my question. How is it possible that it's only good things, it's only positives, when it's your ethnos? But when it's my ethnos, you want to tell me all about the awful, bad, no good, rotten stuff. That's racist. You have a double standard. You're judging with partiality, which is the very thing, which I would agree with you if you were saying we should condemn about the Jim Crow era or the antebellum South or what happened in places like Birmingham, Alabama during the Civil Rights Movement. I would agree with you if you went that far. And in fact, Owen Strakhan's book is excellent. Dr. Eric Mason, I would highly recommend you read Owen Strachan's book if you haven't yet. I would hope you had. But I get the idea that you don't have any interest in even giving it the time of day. You wouldn't even read its foreword, maybe, because you see it as insensitive, because it disagrees with you. Well, that's not a very gospel-centered attitude. How does this work exactly? That your call to arms, your call to action in woke church is a one-way street. You get to do the rebuking. You get to do the calling to repentance. But if someone examines you, like Proverbs talks about, the first one to state his case seems correct until the other comes and examines him. No, 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 no. That's just, see, see what I mean? Racism. Racism. What? I thought, call me simple, maybe I'm simple in the head, but I thought to myself, the most respectful thing I could do would be to talk to you like I would my white brothers and sisters. You're not getting special treatment. If anything, this the special treatment would represent, to my mind, the soft bigotry of low expectations. I don't have low expectations for you. I have high expectations for you because you and I alike are made in God's image. And by God's grace, we can both know the truth and we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Isn't that the big idea? I mean, again, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it feels like a one-way street. It, It feels like a double standard. That's the whole trouble here. To even push back on some of these claims, to even question, them, to even say, well, that doesn't make sense to me, has elicited for years responses from my woke friends, who even if they haven't read your book, Dr. Mason, they've been living it out. You know, the response has been, if I push back and I say, well, hey, that doesn't make sense, and actually that's, how can you support that from the scriptures? Or even for that matter, like, how can you support that from just a plain, like, common sense reasonableness standpoint? Like, make your argument. Then the response is, the next thing that they'll say is, well, it's your responsibility to get educated. If you're not willing to educate yourself on these things, then I'm not going to waste my time and energy, my valuable time and energy, explaining it to an ignorant white man. Your white fragility showing. Check your white privilege. What? Hold on. You're being an abusive jerk right now. Actually, you're you're being racist right now. And therefore you're being a hypocrite. With as much as you rail against racism, you're a hypocrite. Shame on that. Oh, no, 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 no. Can't say that. Can't say that cuz you're sorry, you're a black pastor and I can't say you're in the wrong because you're black, right? So now I'm just white splaining or whatever, I guess. So really though, I mean really really truly and it boggles my mind that Dr. Eric Mason can quote so much scripture and be so profoundly wrong on the question of collective guilt. And he can also engage in a whole lot of doublespeak and a lot of doublethink. And he's asking his audience to also engage in a lot of doublethink and a lot of speak. He's a double-minded man in his prescriptions, and he's asking you to be double-minded along with him. So put this on on for size. Like, how is it possible that... So much of what his church and his ministries have been engaged in is focused on trying to change a lot of the practical needs and the dynamics in the black community. And yet, when white brothers and sisters say, hey, you know what, actually I think a lot of the reason for the disproportionate statistics when it comes to black-on-black violence, for instance, you want to talk about law enforcement shooting unarmed black men or, as often turns out to be the case, actually armed black men who are reaching for a weapon or at least law enforcement have a reasonable, that was Philando Castile. He's reaching for something and the law enforcement officer panicked because he was telling him like, stop, 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 stop. I, as a young white man in that situation, I would have stopped absolutely every bone in my body until I am 100%, like 110% sure that the law enforcement officer is assured of his safety. Does not matter if I'm reaching for my photo ID, my wallet. I am not going to take a chance with my life. So to my mind, it's like, okay, the fact that he's a black man is a side issue. I, as a white man, wouldn't do that. Oh, but no, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand. Young black men get stopped so much more often than young white men, et cetera, et cetera. And to that, I've come back again and again to say, well, hey, wait a second. Like, what about the dynamics in the black community, which make black communities, on average, higher crime areas? Like, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg dilemma, I grant you. But that is to say, it's a chicken and egg dilemma at a minimum. It's not as simple and straightforward and clear-cut as you're trying to imply that it is. It is not just A plus B equals C, and you know the value of A and B, and therefore, I'm just ignorant if I don't know the answer to C, if I don't know the value of C. That's not fair. That is not fair. So, if anything, like if, just to boil it all down, just really, really simple, if anything I could say would get through all of the noise, it would be this, just simple, simple question to Dr. Eric Mason and the woke church crowd. Like your book is literally titled Woke Church. So if you don't represent woke Christianity, I don't know who would. Like I I must be taking crazy pills if you literally writing the book Woke Church does not make you woke. You're literally saying we need to be the woke church. I think that makes you a good representative sample. Also to your... Paul David Tripp, friend, fellow pastor, fellow high-profile voice in the evangelical church in America. If you guys both can say things like, it's time for us to have a conversation about race in America. The question I would ask you back is, do you mean it? Because where I come from, conversations are dialogues, they're not monologues. If as soon as the other person begins to speak or to question, to examine what it is that you're saying, you get super defensive and agitated and just tune them out and walk away from the table, that's not a conversation about race in America. And you didn't mean it. What you really meant was, I want to lecture you all about race in America. And if you don't just uncritically believe everything that I'm telling you, and accept and internalize everything I'm telling you, well, then you're a racist, maybe not even a Christian, or if you are a Christian, you shouldn't be in leadership or if you are in leadership, boy howdy you're you're just not even a mature Christian, you don't even understand the gospel. When you say you want to have a conversation about race in America, for instance, for example, it's because it again though it's not it's not confined to race. that's an important thing we're going to get to in just a minute. But you say you want to have a conversation about race in America, that needs to actually be a dialogue. And also, too, it needs to be a two-way street. As you judge others, so shall ye be judged. In the same measure, you mete it out to others, it'll also be meted out to you. Judge not lest you be judged means, okay, go for it. But judge by right judgment. Judge according to right judgment, not according to appearances. That goes for skin color. That also goes for arguments. At face value, you hear what you think you understand the argument to be, and you immediately shut down the dialogue. You say, this is a waste of my time. Well, you've made that a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have made it a waste of time by your attitude to say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You want everyone else to change their mind according to your talking points. But are you willing to change your mind, if it turns out that some of the things you've embraced as far as the narrative here just ain't so. I mean, they maybe were, that doesn't mean that they are. And if they were, and they no longer are, if they did apply to some people, but they don't apply to these people just by virtue of their skin color. And if the loyalty tests actually should be something other than just, we apologize to you every time a young black man gets shot by the police, you know, if we're talking racial reconciliation, is that a two-way street to where when a young white man is shot by the police, like, do, does it does it go both ways if the law enforcement officer was black? Do you email Matt Chandler and say, hey, brother, just want to let you know I'm really sorry? No, of course you don't. Of course you don't. And for that matter, if a young black man who's not a law enforcement officer shoots another young black man, an innocent young black man, do you black pastors email each other and say, hey man, just want to let you know I'm really sorry? No, of course you don't. Some young black man shoots a young white man. Do you email the white pastors? All the white pastors in America and say, hey, I'm really sorry about that. That's on me. That was, that was me. That was my bad. My bad. I'm complicit. That's my fault. No. No, you do not. Because it doesn't work that way. That's not biblical. It it fails the test of biblicality. It fails the test of reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to all, evident to all. This fails that test. It simply does. And if we want to regard one another as brothers, I'm all for that. I have no objections on the basis of skin color, but I do have an objection if the gospel you're preaching is mixed in with a lot of Marxist ideology. And I do have an objection if... There is a racist component, a decidedly racist component to your anti-racist formula, your anti-racist prescription. I do have an objection to that. Absolutely, and I, and I must, in the interest of consistency. I would be a crazy person to accept all of what you're saying uncritically, and it would be a dereliction of duty. It would, ac- it would actually be the most paternalistic, condescending, insulting thing For me to just uncritically believe it and accept it and embrace it just because you're a black pastor and you said these things and I'm white. That would be actually the opposite of the kind of change that you're saying you want to see, which I do want to see. But I want to touch on the broader woke issue, the broader woke problem. And I realize it's not a like cookie-cutter thing where it's like, oh, like if there are any of these liberal theology check marks that belong in those boxes, then you're just progressive across the board and you are all in for everything that the left is about, typically, in terms of the Democratic Party's platform, any more than, in my case, I vote Republican, according to my convictions, If I tick any of the, or most of the Republican tick marks, check marks in boxes, then it means I'm automatically in line with everything a Republican, any Republican whatsoever. The most radical moderate (laughs) would say, (laughs) well, no, no. But here's the deal. One of the big concerns that I have about a lot of the woke church business is it feels too reminiscent of reading Saul Olensky's Rules for Radicals. It feels exactly like what he brags about in that book as doing, infiltrating, namely, specifically, the clergy and making friends with the clergy and then using the clergy to run interference with the religious conservatives when he wants to push a radical left agenda in a community. If he wants to rile up a certain half of the community to get behind him and make him their spokesperson for the radical left agenda. And Solinsky was literally a Marxist. He doesn't come in, guns a blazing, just laying everything out that he's for explicitly, blatantly, because he knows that he would make a lot of enemies and he wouldn't get the support that he wants for his agenda, his larger agenda. Well, so also, too, you know, for you to nestle deep within your book this comment about the women friends that you have, you and your wife have these friends who are women who have degrees from seminaries, and yet they can't get jobs at churches because the churches have these traditionalist views of the gender roles that basically don't leave a whole lot of room for the gifts of women, well... I'll tell you what, it sounds an awful lot like what I was keying in on in Paul David Tripp's book. Now, as a quick refresher, I'll go back to what I wrote uh, August 27th, 2021. As I published this podcast episode, Dr. Eric Mason and the Council of Philadelphia to the show.com. Because, of course, you can go back and you can listen to that episode, by all means do, if you want to know more specifically about this at length. But here's what I wrote in that write-up, and I quote, In episode 56, Reservations Regarding Lead by Paul David Tripp, I laid out my concerns with what Tripp was and was not saying in his book regarding leadership in Christ's church. Among the things I highlighted was a concern about the emphasis placed on eliminating quote-unquote sexism. My trepidation here should not be mistaken for a defense of sexism. But as anyone who studies the news cycle knows, particularly where politics is concerned, accusations of sexism these days, more often than not, are leveled at anyone who merely disagrees with, criticizes, or contradicts a woman when she's advancing liberal or leftist causes. The same goes for accusations of racism and people of color. Sexism and racism are actual things we ought not to embrace, but the devil is in the details of when, how, and why. And if denunciations of sexism are too broad and general and stressed through repetition, theological liberals in America will seize on them as grounds for insisting on the ordination of women as overseers and deacons in direct contradiction to God's word. Some of the feedback I've recently got on episode 56 led me to dig deeper and see if there was anything to confirm or refute the deductive reasoning I employed in that episode regarding Tripp's personal views on the subject. And being home on quarantine the past week and a half has given me ample time to research. Now, I'll just pause here in my reading to clarify the quarantine that I was on when I recorded this and when I did all this research. It just so happened to be that my wife got covid She was fine. She's still fine, but she was fine. She got COVID and I had to take 14 days off work and just stay home. Uh, Funny story, just as an aside, again, an aside, aside, uh, I tried to get COVID from her because it's like, well, we're home anyways, so I might as well, I might as well, (laughs) let's just, let's all have COVID together and uh, just be done with it and then I'll have antibodies. That'll be great. Uh, Couldn't do it. Don't know why, unless I already had the antibodies, not sure. But there you have it. That's that's what I mean here when I'm talking about being on quarantine. This was towards the tail end of my quarantine, by the way. <clears throat> Continuing on, as I share here the results of my researches, it should be noted clearly that I have found nothing yet which states one way or the other Tripp's position on the ordination of women as overseers and deacons, whether he is supportive or opposed to it. However, in my searching, I would draw your attention to something I found regarding the man Tripp identifies as his own pastor, Dr. Eric Mason of Epiphany Fellowship Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. More specifically, consider the curious case of a Twitter back and forth from 2018 in which Dr. Mason publicly called for a Council of Philadelphia to, and I quote, call those who are heretics on this stuff heretics and make a move to clear the air of these false doctrines on race and justice, like the Church of Antiquity, end quote. Strident woke fundamentalism regarding racial issues and social justice aside, Dr. Mason let something slip I want to draw your attention to in that same Twitter stream from 2018. Again, to quote, we need a modern-day ecumenical council on race and justice. We need canons and synods and creeds on this. Come to Philly, and we can call it the Council of Philadelphia. Limit it to 300 key men and women pastors and scholarly secretaries. Rebuke the heretics and affirm the sound. quote. Emphasis added because I made bold where he says, it to 300 key men and women pastors and scholarly secretaries. Reading down through the other comments, several respondents caught what I did and seized on Mason, including women pastors, in his invitation. Some asked him if he had missed a comma, while others insisted as much. However, as far as I was able to see, Mason never clarified what he meant in this regard. Whether Paul David Tripp's pastor is being misunderstood here is somewhat beside the point to my chief concern with Tripp, Mason, and the whole woke church crowd. From this exchange and many others from leading evangelicals in recent years, it becomes clear. This whole woke business is regarded as a primary issue to the woke church and not a secondary one on which we can disagree. But then there is the definite possibility that Mason subscribes to theological liberalism with the ordination of women, just like he subscribes to theological liberalism with regards to racial issues. And that should not shock us if the underlying attitude and presuppositions might reasonably lead to a certain set of conclusions on both the one and the other seems all the more that my initial concerns and suspicions were justified. So that's what I wrote, right? That's, that's everything that I wrote, and I said 45 minutes more besides in that particular episode. You can go back and listen to it if you want to. But my point in all of this is to go back to the soundbite from the top of this episode. That little clip I lifted from the audiobook version of Woke Church, basically says, for one, women going to seminaries and getting degrees and then trying to get jobs in the church is a good thing, and we shouldn't exclude them, we shouldn't turn them away, we shouldn't have such a limited vision based on traditional views of gender roles that we place the cultural context of Paul's letters there ahead of what clearly is the gifting of these women. And how do we know that it's the gifting of these women? Well, we know because they have ability, they have talent, they're able to get up in front of people and speak, and they're able to teach, and they're able to share, and they are able to handle the word rightly, or are they, actually? That's the big question. This is something that (laughs) actually, uh, I think, has been spoken well on by one of Doug Wilson's daughters or she points out, it's like, oh, you're, you're trying to prove that you are able to handle the Scriptures just as well as the men do, but your starting point is to throw out what Paul says regarding allowing women to be in official positions of teaching and authority in the church over men. You're going to start with that <laughs> to try and prove to us how well you can rightly divide the word of truth. Actually, wow, uh, wait a second, hold on. You've already disqualified yourself. And now, even if you're going to talk about something completely other and different, can we trust you? Can can we trust that what you're saying next is actually good, godly, reliable, and in order, given the fact that you've started from the premise of putting God's word second to your personal ambitions? That, that's really what's at stake here. That's the big question. And by all means, you know, it, if you want to go back, to the beginning of this episode and replay from the book itself, what's actually in Woke Church, go for it. But I hear that and I really, I, I, I don't know how much more clear Eric Mason could be unless he just flat out said like, I believe that women should be ordained right alongside men. Like he's being pretty clear about it. And that's not super shocking. That's really not super shocking. So my question would be, for those who, as I know a few, for those who say, well, yeah, but that's not in the book. What do we do with music? What do we do with music? Now, let's just say, to give a not random example, to give an actual like real life, practical, close to home example, let's say somebody comes to the leader of the Praise and Worship Ministry at our church in Evans, Colorado, Summit View Community Church. And they say, hey, this latest song, this latest track coming out of Hillsong is just beautiful. It's so beautiful. And every time I hear it, I'm ushered into the presence of God and I just get goosebumps. And I just feel so encouraged, and I feel so uplifted, and I just feel so one with God. And would you guys ever consider singing this song on a Sunday morning? It's so beautiful musically, and it's just so, like the words are just so moving. What do you think? Here's the official position. The official position is no. Not because there's no musical quality, because actually it, like speaking for myself personally, I have zero objections to the musical quality of what Hillsong puts out. Hillsong puts out some really artistically and technically listenable content. But here's the question: What are the lyrics communicating about God? What are the lyrics communicating about us? What are the lyrics communicating about our sin? And also, what are the lyrics communicating about the gospel? Those are four imperative questions, which it might seem to some are no reason for us to worry over. And yet, the official position at our church is, you know what, some of the theology at Hillsong, we just, we cannot agree with, we don't agree with. And so we wouldn't want, to play hillsong and have it implied that we are aligned with them theologically doctrinally anthropologically <laughs> we just we don't want to send that message and so we will never perform a hillsong piece on a sunday morning so okay i'm with you so far and and i People ask me what I think of Hillsong, and I just say, like, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about Hillsong. I've liked, from a technical standpoint, their music. I'm not always so sure that theologically there's a lot of depth and a lot of value at a minimum in their lyrics. And then I also know that there's been some deconversion business with uh, some of their prominent leaders. And so I'm, I worry about what that says of their discernment uh, as a institution, which isn't to say that you know no Christian could like Hillsong because that's just my personal take on it. But if you're asking, yeah, there's there's my answer. Uh, but if somebody has, right? Like somebody has really researched Hillsong, they've really done a deep diving on what all's going on there and they're really, really worried about it and their conscience won't permit them to even sing a relatively innocuous song by Hillsong, whatever it's, merits because of the baggage now do paul david Tripp. now do woke church now do tweets from 2018 calling anyone who disagrees about systemic racism and social justice a heretic and my question would be do we have two standards do we have one standard when we're talking about music and potential baggage of a theological, mental, emotional, social nature? And do we have a different standard when it comes to the kinds of books that we're reading or the kinds of influencers we are putting forward as credible, trustworthy on a given subject? That would be my big question here. Also too, I I wanna actually finish out on this point because this is I was reminded recently one of the big objections that I have to the treatment of the question of leadership in the church by Paul David Tripp uh you know it, it's it, it feels a little bit like an after party right where you know the the main party biblically speaking is overseers and deacons so Paul for instance he writes Qualifications for Overseers and Deacons in the Church, writes a list which is pretty well like overlapping and not redundant, but emphasized through repetition and the fact that it crops up in more than one place. Uh, Qualifications for Overseers and Deacons to his disciple Timothy and also his disciple Titus. And in both lists, among other qualities, fairly chief, not chief chief but fairly chief in his list of qualifications are that overseers and deacons must be the husband of one wife which is to say among other things most to the point uh, polygamists need not apply right which is also to say i think quite literally that there were polygamists in the early church or that there might have been and that there was kind of a um, understanding and that there should be an understanding we glean from the text that if with all of the other types of varied, diverse, uh, romantic attachment and arrangements and relationships uh, which are being normalized in recent years, if polygamy joins the club and becomes legal and normal, and even present in the church, uh, absolutely, it does not matter how charming, winsome, pleasant, gifted a man is who has multiple wives; he is disqualified. It, it, you know, and and to say otherwise, just to be just to be clear, to say otherwise is not to deny the God-given gifts of that polygamist. Uh, that is also to say, just as a, as a sidebar here. Uh, I do believe if God had a special relationship with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, heard their prayers, answered their prayers, made covenants, blessed them, uh, and yet they had multiple, in some cases, multiple, multiple, multiple wives, Uh, it's not beyond the pale that we could have polygamy be legalized, normalized, and start showing up in churches in the coming years in this country. Not to say that it will. It's not a prediction. I'm just saying it's plausible. That's what a lot of uh, opponents to marriage equality argued several years ago. But it is not denying the God-given gifts of a polygamist, hypothetically speaking, to say, You are, biblically speaking, disqualified from being an overseer or a deacon. Now, imagine this. Imagine this scenario. Imagine some enterprising coalition of polygamists in a future church. This would make a great sci-fi novel, by the way. Christian (laughs) sci-fi. Somebody write this, please, or I'll have to. Some enterprising coalition of Christian polygamists, uh, Christian polygamist men say, hey, we feel we're being discriminated against, which is, uh, you know, all God's people say, amen. Yes, you are, actually. And also tolerated, but yes. If you feel like you're being discriminated against, it's because you are, because God said so. God God told us to discriminate against you, so take it up with him. But (laughs) some enterprising coalition of polygamist men say, Well, how about this? How how about this? Okay, you know, fine. Let's not even talk about overseers and deacons. Let's just create a new category. It'll be a generalized category, and we'll just call it, um, oh, I don't know, leadership. Yeah, how about that? We'll just call it leadership. And to be leaders in the church, you don't have to meet the qualifications for overseers and deacons. Now, you can have some delegated authority from the actual overseers. like They'll delegate their work to us of, um, oh, how do I put this? Overseeing certain ministries, and especially the volunteers in those ministries. But don't call us overseers. Problem solved, right? Right? So the Greek word, Koine Greek word, according to BibleStudyTools.com, and if you've got a better resource... And I'm playing too fast and loose with things I can't possibly, uh, understand. Please do, please do correct me and give me better tools. Uh, I do have some additional resources on the shelf, but this is on the internet. And so I could use my keyboard to find what I wanted. <laughs> so it was easy. Um, it's just, it, it's just, it, that is what it is. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's accurate. So here's this word that is translated as leaders. And it does get translated into the English as leaders in a few places in the English. Like, for instance, in Hebrews, crops up a couple of different times. But there's this word, and I'm going to try and say it slowly so I pronounce it correctly. heg a om ahi heg a om omahi and i i could be wrong but i'll bet you just based on the way it's spelled and pronounced and all that the definition of it i'll bet you this is a kind of root word for hegemony but bibletools.org BibleStudyTools.com, those are the two resources that i'm using here hege omahi means first definition to lead a to go before B, to be a leader. B1, to rule or command. B2, to have authority over. There's that word, authority. Three, a prince of regal power, governor, viceroy, chief, leading as respects, influence, controlling, and council, overseers, or leaders of the churches. Four, used of any kind of leader, chief, commander. Five, the leader in speech, chief, spokesman. Or the second definition, when it's used in a figurative sense, to consider, deem, account, think. So there are 28 or 29, these two different resources have different counts. One says 28, one says 29, but there's between 28 and 29 times that this Greek word is translated into the English. The first is Matthew 2.6. Quote, out of the, and this is all in KJV, so pardon me. Quote, Out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, end quote. Luke twenty two, twenty six, the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve, end quote. ACTS seven ten, King of Egypt, and he made him Acts fourteen twelve, because he was the chief speaker. Acts fifteen twenty two. Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And by the way, that context in Acts 15 is the Council of Jerusalem, which I just recently spoke about for our apologetics talk on denominations. These are elders and apostles meeting together to decide what to do about the Judaizers and the circumcision party and Gentiles and whether they should have to be circumcised and keep the law in order to be Christians and have fellowship with Jewish Christians, etc., etc., Barsabbas and Silas are going to be the spokespeople who are sent out from among this group. They are chief men among the brethren. They are men in authority. When you're talking elders and apostles, these are men with official offices of authority in the church. But there's also the figurative instances, which are translated, interestingly enough, Acts 26.2, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. I think, I think is the same word, hegi omahi. I thought, let each esteem others better than themselves. Thought, I supposed, I counted, I count, do count, to esteem, count, he counted, count, hath counted, she judged, esteeming them which have the rule over you. There's the Hebrews thirteen seven, which is translated in some English translations as leaders. Remember your leaders. In the KJV, it's remember them which have the rule over you. So they are not just leaders in a generic sense, like just people who have influence in a generic sense, including but not limited to unofficial senses, but these are people with command authority, in which case it's not appropriate if we're being faithful to what Paul says. It's not appropriate to say, in my view, I do permit a woman to teach or have authority over men that's what we're doing if we say well this woman is a leader but we've created a whole new category where we we put things into that new category that we've just invented this new office in the church where she has authority and she is teaching and or just hold on a minute slow your roll if we're not careful we'll find that an end run has been made around being faithful to the text And then what will happen is, once we find ourselves in that position, because it would involve so much loss of face to walk it back and to say, oh wait, wait a second, I think maybe we've given this woman or these women far too much authority in a general sense. What will happen is, we'll avoid saying so much. And we'll try and rationalize it in the interest of being not sexist, because we've made a new law unto ourselves. We've made a new tradition and we will invalidate the commands of God in order to keep the traditions of men. That's the big worry here. Again, I would refer you back to the review I made of Owen Strachan's book, Christianity and Wokeness, in which he heavily emphasizes our need to remember where the scriptures tell us, God's word tells us, God tells us, let no one take you captive by vain human philosophy. It says, let no one take you captive. And then why would we suppose that that's impossible? No, it could never happen. I could never be taken captive by vain human philosophy. No, I just don't see it. I don't think so. Why? Because you're just so sure that you'll catch them before they do? Because you're so perceptive if you didn't see it, it's not there. What's the presumption? That nobody will try? Is that it? I mean, there's, there's a whole host of assumptions baked into that being an admonition. Are we disagreeing with those assumptions? It says, let no one take you captive. And will we say, well, no one would ever even try, particularly in the church. No one would try I would direct your attention again to the circumcision party. Not only did they try, but they tried hard enough and adamantly enough that a whole council had to be called to address the issue. That even apostles were taken in. You think you can't be taken captive by vain human philosophy? What makes you so much more impervious than the apostles like Peter? Or Barnabas, for that matter. Paul says Barnabas was taken in by them for a time, deceived by them, misled by them, captivated by them. No temptation has used you but that which is common to man. God is faithful. That means also not just that he'll provide a way out, but also, too, that there's forgiveness. So just to conclude and wrap up, Eric Mason's Woke Church is engaging in some of the same, the very same thing that if even a whiff or a hint, even the barest possibility exists that the white church or white Christians could be engaging in, they might not even be Christians. They might not even be saved. For that matter, Eric Mason publishes Woke Church in 2018, October 2nd, through Moody Publishers. But he also takes to Twitter in 2018 to say that we should have a Council of Philadelphia and call out anybody who disagrees about social justice and critical race theory and systemic racism, etc, 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 as heretics. You're not even a Christian if you disagree with us on this. Well, if that's your position, you might actually be a captive to vain human philosophy. You might actually be believing in now and espousing and promoting a false gospel. And you might be getting a pass because of the color of your skin. In fact, instead of you being discriminated against, you're being given a pass in these things because of the color of your skin. For that matter, for somebody to challenge you on these things or to question or to push back or to say, well, hey, that doesn't make sense. If they have no ability to, if they're immediately shouted down just because of the color of their skin, you are guilty of the very thing you say you're so diametrically opposed to and against. You're guilty of the very racism you say we need to purge from our churches and from our testimony, and from our leadership communities, etc., etc. For that matter, too, for you to quote scripture is good and well. And I hope you are, brother. And maybe we just disagree on this, but boy, howdy, this is a really important disagreement as you. No doubt, agree, but you smuggle in affirmation for women pastors, legitimating of women pastors. You've started with throwing out the authority of scripture in favor of your own tradition, the tradition of your community. No, no, absolutely not. So, all this is to say, I was not imagining it. I wasn't making it up. I wasn't imagining it. It really was here. I thought I smelled something off. And I did the research and I dug in and it turned out, in fact, yes, yes, there's an affirmation here for a whole host of things, which if you want to buy into, go for it, but you're leaving a theologically conservative tradition. And if you, if you want to agree with these things and condone these things and accept these things and embrace these things... Like you're, you are picking a side to say that this is legitimate because it's a mutually exclusive position. They're not leaving it open that, Hey, we can just either affirm or deny these things and still all be brothers. No, they're saying you, you reject these and you're a heretic, not just heterodox, not just we disagree. You're a heretic. You're not even a Christian. They made it a primary issue. We're supposed to contend for the faith. We're supposed to be Bereans, and that shouldn't just be if our politics are such and such, if our skin color is such and such, if we grew up in the ghetto and in the hood and in the inner city, if we're best-selling authors, it shouldn't just be for the folks who have the right title, even though I guess it's like, well, as long as you're a leader in some generic sense, like, it's all the same, except for you conservatives, you can't be leaders, no, because... We're not even sure you're Christians. I got to leave it there, though. That's all the time I've got. My wife is telling me supper's on the table. This is a rare podcast episode being recorded in the evening, actually, instead of in the morning. I'm going to run and have supper with my family. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.